It's Josh and Tom devour the world. Nom, 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 nom. Soberly driving this train today is uh, myself, Josh Battenhorst, and sitting next to me, riding shotgun, wild and crazy, Tom Chalmers. Hi, Tom. Hey, Josh. Um, how nice to devour with you yet again. Isn't it? And we have a very special guest today. I'm going to just like make this sound. Yeah, I hope that I hope that satisfies the uh, the your earbuds because we're we're talking brew today. We're talking beer today with Leah Reynas, who is the executive director of the Asheville Brewers Alliance. Welcome, Leah. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Psyched uh, to be here. Absolutely. <laughs> and then, yeah, we like to go ahead and give you the nice one line introduction, but um, we feel that you probably know your life story a little bit better than we do. So if you want to just give us maybe a, a four or five line uh, description of uh, who you are and how is it that you might end up on a show about devouring. Sure. So I guess um, I feel like Puff Irvin at the Craft Beverage Institute of the Southeast coined me the Western North Carolina beer maven um, a couple of years ago. And uh, while I think there are plenty of other folks who absolutely live up to that title, um, I'm happy to carry the mantle. I preach the gospel of Western North Carolina beer and craft beverage in our allied trades as the executive director of the Asheville Brewers Alliance. Oh, really? So when you say, I, I guess I didn't realize that just craft beverage in general is a thing that you guys, because I guess you know, there are things that are brewed other than, than beer. I just didn't, hadn't really thought about it so much. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. We have, um, so our brewery members are kind of the foundation of what we're about and all of our promotion, education and advocacy work. Uh, you know, we do design with those folks in mind, but we do have a separate member class for what we call associate beverage producers. So that would be a brewery that may not fit the Brewers Association's definition of a craft brewery. Oh, okay. um, also, you know, we have some amazing winemakers and cider makers and distilleries in our neck of the woods. And a lot of our advocacy work, because we're not at a state legislative or lobbying level, um, there's a good amount of overlap in terms of some of the work that we do helps to benefit them, whether it's advocacy or education. Um, and we want to be as welcoming as possible to anybody who might benefit from membership at the Brewers Alliance. Leo, your background sort of reminds me of when we had Liz Whalen Talent on. I don't know if you know Liz, she is from the Orange oh, she's Field. She's awesome. Yes. But she also had a similar thing of like, this isn't exactly where I thought I was going to end up having done some other things. But once I sort of landed here, I was like, oh, I, I guess this is what I'm going to do now. So tell us a little bit about, yeah, so you have not necessarily existed in the land of beer for forever, but uh, <laughs> after what you did before, somehow it made sense that you would up, end up here. Yeah, absolutely. So when I was still in college up in Boston, Massachusetts, I worked at a liquor store that happened to have an amazing craft beer selection because we weren't uh, Leah, please yeah package yes. store you're a from packy, yes <laughs> thank you so am i <laughs> oh awesome yeah um, so being up there being exposed to craft you know really in the earlier days this was early 2000s and so there wasn't quite the selection of craft beverage there was but you know getting exposed to dogfish head 60 minute or allagash white or sierra nevada pale ale really those kind of quintessential when you think about the original craft beer um you know of the movement and just developing an affinity for that uh you know and then going on into the financial services industry for a while after that but really still remaining a beer enthusiast you know anytime i go on vacations or camping with friends They'd be like, hey, did you already do the research on what breweries we're going to visit while we're there? Um, you know, New Year's Eve was always a bottle share. 
you know, some of those relationships from the package store back then I still have today, even though we're spread fairly far apart. Uh, so after about nine years working in financial services, uh, I met the love of my life a month before he moved to Austin, Texas. Oh, and right. yeah, and so we did a year of long distance and I, I moved to Austin about a year later to close the gap on the relationship. I felt that, like the sun had kind of set on this career of my life or part of my career um, and moved to Texas with nary a job prospect on the horizon, <laughs> which was equal parts exciting and terrifying. Um, I ended up working at a small brewery down there in the tasting room. Uh, the brewery is called Hops and Grain. If you've ever been a really great spot and just kind of fell in love with the people in the industry and the fact that being there didn't require me to censor myself. I have a bit of a potty mouth. I will do my best not to swear on your podcast. <laughs> um, but also like the absence of having to wear pantyhose or pantsuits or anything like that. Just, it felt like yeah. the right move. <laughs> For sure. Uh, yeah. So now we've got the second connection. Tom's from Boston. I went to college actually, not in Austin, but in Georgetown. So like the Austin area, Austin was always where we went down to uh, to go out on the town and things like that. So, uh, so look, uh, our good friend, Colonel Bruce, uh, who we memorialized in our last episode would see all of these synchronicities and say, of course, th these three shall unite. On this the was destined episode. to happen. <laughs> it was, it definitely was. It definitely was. Uh, so Leah, we'll check back in with you just a little bit about how, what you do naturally causes you to d devour things. But, uh, we usually start with us, uh, with the opening volley and uh, Josh, that's you this week. Yeah. So I, you know, I, w when I chose this thing, I chose it because I thought that it was the natural enemy to, uh, to the beer. And that is the, the humble grape. I have been devouring a lot of grapes recently, not wine, <laughs> mind you. Uh, but listeners will know that I've recently started the Noom, uh, the like the little app for uh, learning to eat healthy and kind of use psychological tricks to kind of get yourself to. Uh, and one of the things that they suggested be a healthy snack for you, uh, for any person is something that has a lot of water in it and has a lot of nutritional value and not a lot of calories at the same time. And that, and they suggested grapes. And so second day that I got, I went and picked up some grapes and uh, devoured pretty much the whole bag on the way to Raleigh. <laughs> I don't think that's how you're supposed to do it, really, is buy like three pounds and then eat them. I'm like, what, 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 you know, but, uh, but I did. And uh, since then, I have continued to, to buy grapes and make them a more uh, conscious part of my diet. And I'm enjoying grapes. I've, I, it doesn't matter. I've I had, there's lots of different kind of grapes, like much like we've discovered with clementines. There's like moon drop grapes, which are like these longer versions of a sweet grape and of course there's uh, there's your classic red seedless and your 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 uh green seedless and your uh black uh seedless and i yeah so i'm enjoying grapes and uh, i've heard you can freeze them and do all sorts of fun things with them and of course you can make wine with them but i i guess i didn't realize that that the the wine industry is not your enemy in the in craft beverage country rather you're more like uh, your own different alliance so uh so anyway, grapes, for, for better or worse, that's what I've been devouring. <laughs> uh, grapes are a good thing. Yes, I think there's a reason they put those little sticks in there to slow you down a little bit. They don't just knock them off of the, the vine and just leave. Yeah, send you um, and grapes for me as a youth, that was the original Pudgy Bunny, um, which was, was how that? many grapes can you fit in your mouth? Um, oh, really? And still uh, say Pudgy Bunny? 
uh, or just <laughs> uh, but that is something maybe we should have eaten more of the grapes would ex explain some of my uh, uh, habits as, as a child but yes that that's a so if you are you know needing a little variety go ahead and just see how many you can fit in your mouth but keep the bowl handy when you go <laughs> and then eat them you know and I think the classic sort of native North Carolina grape is the scuppernog or the muscadine or you know, bo both of those, I think, grow kind of like somewhat natively or they've just been around for so long uh, that uh, Leah, you're nodding in, in agreement. That, that is true of, of local grapes. What do you know of our local grape representation? Not a whole lot. Just that uh, what Josh said about scuppernogs is accurate and muscadine. Um, but I remember when I was brewing at Sanctuary Brewing before it you know, it's now Oklahoma Brewing. Um, we did a beer actually where we pressed scuppernog grapes and added the the juice. I think in the business and in the wine industry, it's called must, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. But I could be way wrong. And added that to the beer. And it was just this beautiful, like really light, um, subtle, delicious, crushable, quaffable beverage. Awesome. Well, and, the, and yet another possibility for uh, a name for the Asheville tourists other than the tourists. I'm always campaigning that we can do better than to name our only base, you know, sports team after people who aren't even from here. So uh, there's another, the Asheville Skeppernogs. <laughs> well, Tom, you know, one of the, uh, you've, you've, to you've told this bit, you've had this bit for a little while going about the frustrations with it, but it is one way to know that you're actually not looking at tourists is when you see a group of people walking down the street and their shirts say tourists on them, they're probably locals. That's a good way to know that, <laughs> that they're actually from here is because it says tourists on their shirt. So, you know. <laughs> um, all right. So Leah, as uh, executive director of the Asheville Brewers Alliance, um, again, we would imagine that you are at least devouring awareness of current and uh, new entering members. So we're just curious, how, you know, what is it on the perch of the uh, Asheville Brewers Alliance? How much do you sort of uh, stay aware of the the dealings of current members uh, what kind of screening process is involved for those who uh, wish to become involved and uh, how much do you know about the local beer situation at any given moment I, mean, I try to keep my finger on the pulse as far as who's doing what and when and honestly this this late summer fall into winter is such a beautiful time of year for the mm -hmm. beer industry as a whole uh, just because you get some really interesting varieties of types of beverage you know you're going out of the the more traditional, like, or not, I guess not traditional, but like the Gosas and the light Pilsners and the lawnmower beers that you're just drinking during North Carolina summer uh, and transitioning into, you know, some of the darker, richer varieties of beers, you know, Dunkel Lagers, of course, your, your Meritsons or your Oktoberfest fest beer style beers. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, I, I know like 12 Bones just released a peanut butter porter this weekend. Oh, that really? sounds absolutely delightful. And you get into pumpkin beers um, which, you know, people have thoughts on pumpkin beers. <laughs> right, right. It, it seems like a very polarizing style. But we're also, <laughs> yes, of course. Yeah, and then getting into even some of the stouts. I know like Highwire has their stout bout in November, which is dangerously close. I, I, I keep thinking it's March and it's definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you also, you know, the, the quintessential, the Highwire Cold Mountain release weekend also coming in November. Right. right. Um, and so you might get a little sad about having to hunker down in the cold weather, but I really love that you can do so in the presence of some pretty delicious beer. <laughs> yeah, so Leah, I've got a question for you about uh, the black market for seasonal beers. For example, I was a big fan, and my wife very much so, of the Peachful, the, the Highland Brew did Peachful, which is this very light peach beer, not too 
you know, a free syrup kind of thing. We really, really liked it. And then mid-August, all of a sudden, Clawhammer has now taken the shelves um, where that used to be. And we're like, well, it's not October yet. Like, we love that beer. Um, but you could then, we sort of are scouring around, seeing if places could still um, have it. And I noticed that pe people started to, uh, some bodegas were uh, raising the price. Um, they're like, we still have it, but now it's $3 more than what you would usually pay for it. And what? I was like, how dare you? I'll take two. Um, <laughs> is, is this something you uh, know anything about? Not so much on the retail side of things, um, just because we deal so much with the manufacturers. Yeah. Uh, uh -huh. One thing I will say is check the dates. Uh, most of the beers that are produced will have a bottle on or canned on date, either on the bottom of the can or somewhere on the bottle. And really just pay attention, uh, check the website, reach out to their social media teams and find out you, know, you really don't want to be drinking. And, and again, it depends on the style. Some styles age beautifully. If you have a barley wine, stored correctly that could go for like five years and still be drinkable. Um, you know, when you start to get into things that are a little more perishable in nature, like a heavily dry hopped IPA or pale ale, um, you know, I don't, I'm not sure how peachful would age, um, but something tells me you probably want to drink those beers fairly fresh. You know, a lot of people will be like, I aged this IPA for three years. I'm like, oh, why? <laughs> I mean, it's interesting. It's an interesting science experiment. And if you want to have like, your own personal package library, like have at it. And if you enjoy it, I enjoy it in moderation and responsibly. You do you, boo. But um, I will say, you know, a lot of these breweries that are producing these beers and releasing them, they're releasing them at a point in that beer's journey where they're intending it for to be for it to be consumed at that point. Gotcha. Um, yeah. Yeah. Trust the experts. <laughs> I think I think Tom, what you described was just like a process of supply and demand. And yeah. <laughs> you know, so you know, and as as the supply dwindles, then uh, then the demand then then will go. One thing I love that Highland does. You, you know, you're talking about Highland's beer, and you're talking about Highland's Cold Mountain is, uh, and I hope that they do this this year. At some point, they usually put up like a little graveyard of their beers of of like sort of like brews past that have like some some of the the old the ones that were around in the olden days, as I recall them. Uh, the uh, oh, there's one that's named after a, a a Led Zeppelin song that I cannot find in my brain right now. Cashmere. Um, there we go, Cashmere. Yes. <laughs> the Cashmere IPA, which was one of my favorite beers, and is was replaced by like the AVL IPA, I think, in some way. So, you know, they kind of went through a, a rebranding, and uh, but I do have a question about that Cold Mountain beer because I do like it as well, and I, it's really not very often that you'll put a beer in front of my face and I'll be like, well, no, no, I don't turn up my nose at that many beers. That's why I'm probably taking Noom, doing the Noom thing as well, but. Uh, yeah, there it is. Tom's Tom's drinking one right now, um, but I'm wondering like how how many brewers have found that you know because that's such like a, a hit and classic beer. People trade you know buy tons of it to give away at Christmas time and things like that. Like how many of our brewers have had such a hit like that? And and do do you, do you see that a lot? Do we see that a lot in Asheville where people are like, nope, that's now the iconic beer of that uh, of that group. I think it's hard to say, and it depends a lot. We have, we're now at around 121 breweries in Western North Carolina. Wow. Okay. That includes yeah. breweries operating multiple facilities. So sure. some may have production or some may be solely a tasting room. And I think for a lot of the more established, you know, older breweries, you've got your Highlands or, you know, Catawba's White Zombie comes to mind. Uh -huh. um, sure. Yeah. You know, yeah. that when I was working for Catawba 
several years ago, I believe it was roughly 53% of their sales mix, but it was initially brewed as a one-off beer. Wow. And that okay. was just so wildly popular. And now it's their best-selling beer. And you see really cool variants of that beer popping up. They just released, I think it was last week or the week before the Pink Warrior Zombie, um, which is they're raising funds for breast cancer awareness and research yeah. and support. So I believe it's $1 for every pint sold in any of their tasting rooms and $2 for every four pack. So, well, I'm going to have to yeah. go support some charity. That's just already said right there. Yeah. <laughs> hey, uh, excited to have you on this week for so many reasons. And I'll, I'll stay there. So you mentioned Kutoaba, uh, as I like to bring some of my Massachusetts roots into the pronunciation of that Kutoaba, um, wicked Kutoaba. Um, <laughs> Uh, but they were uh, recently uh, uh, sold um, to uh, a group out of uh, Charlotte um, mm-hmm, with a, a nice name about water or something. Um, but uh, just talk to that. I know a lot of times people are like, I know there was a big deal when Wicked Weed um, got bought out by, uh, you know, uh, 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 Brewing, um, yeah. and people are like, how could you? And you're like, oh, you mean work really hard to the point where you get to... <laughs> have this thing change the rest of your life. And yeah, so just talk to that uh, again, whatever you might know about Kataba, and just in general, how it's to be expected that, you know, if you have a startup company, you're probably going to sell it to the larger telecom company eventually. Of course, breweries may, may have the same thing. So if you could talk about that a little bit, that'd be great. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting um, because I think when you look at the timing of when these acquisitions have happened in the past, um, you know, in 2017, the year, I'm almost positive that's the year Wicked Wheat was acquired by AB InBev. It's a very different time than now uh, to be a brewery. Also, when you look at these large regional brands versus, you know, the majority of the breweries around here are brewing fewer than 5,000 barrels a year of annual production, um, very small mom and pop. You, I, don't know, I don't know that the mentality or the attitude towards acquisitions has changed, um, but I really think that folks do what's right for them. Sure. Um, you know, and you look at the way businesses are structured, if you're a large regional player and you're looking to continue to grow the business, um, you know, and I, I love the owners of Catawba and there's some of the smartest business people I've ever had the pleasure of working for. And so to know that they're incredibly scrupulous, um, I know that they're doing, I can be confident they're doing what's right for them, what's right for the organization to continue growing their brand mm-hmm. and to provide opportunities for the product the brand and their staff, Um, you know, talking to folks who I know from working there, everyone seems largely happy. Nobody is upset about it. I I can't speak totally for them. And I would definitely suggest reaching out to those folks uh, for, for their experience, because really they're the experts of that experience. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, but I think from my opinion, not being a part of the inner workings of those organizations, I understand some of the the reactions, but also I think when you look bigger picture and try to understand where folks are coming from, um, right? People have to do what's right for them. Well, the and distribution the is such a big thing. I mean, I remember, you know, uh, being out in Joshua Tree and uh, taking a trip, uh, you know, uh, back to one of our favorite places and going to the little grocery store there. Like, oh my God, look, Asheville area beers. Um, it's not because a lot of people there were like, could you please stock some of the, you know. Uh, whatever brew is because they're in a distribution network and that and that's how really good beers get to be known uh, on a wider platform. So sometimes it involves some yeah, corporate takeover if you want to see it that way. But uh, that's how your beers get all of a sudden in the hands of someone who never would have known about it otherwise. 
Sure. And I think, you know, when, again, when you look at the, the majority of the breweries in our region, a lot of them are small and really over the last five to 10 years, there was a major shift away from necessarily being in grocery stores and on shelves because that competitive landscape became so intense. And so folks really looking to focus on tasting room only or brew pub experiences for their brands, which I think serves people really well. Your margins are great in a tasting room and really, uh, March of 2020, when everything got shut down, that model got turned on its head and seeing people navigate uh, not having packaging setups, whether they were just doing growlers or crowlers, um, bringing in businesses like mobile canning companies. You know, We have two who are part of our allied trade members, Tap Hopper Canning and Ironheart Canning, who will come in and package beer and can. So if you have a couple of brands that you know, you're really, you want to get on shelves or be able to offer a to-go experience. A lot of folks, I think, maybe fast-tracked packaging operations that may have been part of the five-year plan that became part of the five-day plan as they were trying to figure out how to remain solvent when you can't have people into your tasting room to consume your beer. Yeah. So let's talk about the taste of the beer for just a second. What in your mind separates like beers from our region versus beers that you might find in the Pacific Northwest or Colorado or places like that. I mean, everybody's fighting for Beer City USA. That was a huge thing, you know, eight, 10 years ago. (laughs) Who's going to get to be Beer City USA? But so what sets apart, you know, I would imagine that you as part of your uh, work get a chance to run across some beer makers from the other regions as well. So what, what do you think really sets apart uh, Western North Carolina brew from some of these other places? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the most amazing things is just the availability of high quality raw materials. So because we have so many breweries, we have White Labs East Coast operations here in Asheville. Okay. Um, we have Riverbend Malt House down in South Asheville, Jordan area. And they're uh-huh. a local craft maltster and, and, and having the availability of that, we also have a lot of sales reps based in Asheville for companies that support that. We also have an amazing agricultural scene here beyond the beer. You've got Rayburn Farms um, where they're producing a ton of ginger for craft beverage. Uh, He's done pumpkins in the past. And so the ability to work with locally sourced high quality raw materials. I also think that the caliber of talent here, we've got people moving here to brew. The folks who are opening these breweries over the last five years come from commercial brewing experiences, whether they're from Asheville, a lot of them are, or coming from somewhere else. I think we've been able to cultivate this community of incredibly talented professionals. We also have a prolific homebrew scene with award-winning homebrewers. Um, you know, you look at Heidi Dunkelberg, who's getting ready to open a brewery and planning. She won the Just Brew It Beer Festival and Competition in 2019. David Ackley and Christina Hall Ackley from Ginger's Revenge won People's Choice in the Tony Kiss Award in, I think it was 2013 and 2015 and went on to open Ginger's Revenge. Um, So I think it's just the, also having a lot of educated beer drinkers. I don't think that maybe- Thank you, by the way. Thank you. Yeah, man, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, no, like, I mean, our beer fans know what's up. I'll engage in conversations with people who are just, you know, big fans of beer or homebrewers who will call something out that I think maybe in other cities without such a huge and robust beer scene, uh, they wouldn't think to call out. And I think also, again, going back to the folks who, you know, the maltsters and white labs who are local to here, you have that luxury of having somebody who's, you know, less than an hour's drive from you 
And if you're having fermentation issues, you can call up Pablo at White Labs and say, hey, man, I have a stuck fermentation. Can you help me troubleshoot this? Um, That's awesome. And, and so yeah. having those resources at our fingertips, I think it, it, our product is a cut above. Mm. And I think just the collegial and collaborative nature of folks in our industry who like want to help because you realize that if everyone's making great beer, everyone's doing well together. That very cool. I just like, again, it's, it's the most simple of studies, but uh, your tagline for the betterment of the beer community is nice. So we're like, oh, this is not about promotion necessarily, which obviously that is uh, including that, but yes, you know, uh, cross-pollination between what people know already and what other people can learn from that. Um, and also, yeah, that's something I wanted to touch on for, for two reasons. I'll get to the more, um, did you see the viral video version of it? Um, but also, yeah, big on yeah, promoting some of the um, uh, maybe yeah, lesser known brewers or just letting the community know that there's a, a wide uh, variety of brewers, uh, you being part of the Pink Boot Society, which I do want uh, to talk about, but also I thought it was very cool that uh, the American Chestnut Alliance uh, aligned with Seven Clans uh, Brewing, which is, from what I understand, kind of, uh, you know, uh, uh, can you tell me what you know about uh, Seven Clans? And I just thought that was very cool. Also, very big on uh, uh, breweries who yeah, consider the local ingredients uh, and try to, to highlight that as they uh, plan their beers. Like, well, what's something this area is known for? Let, let's feature that. But anyways, um, do you, do you know much about Seven Clans? Sure. Uh, I don't know a ton. I'd like to learn more. Um, right. I know that they're affiliated. Their sister brewery is Frog Level Brewing Company, which they acquired. I can't remember how long ago it was. Time is such a weird concept to me. I want to say it was last year, but it could have been two or three years ago at this point. And so they're indigenous owned and Seven Clans. Um, I believe they were also working with Bear Waters out of Canton, who also has a location in Maggie Valley on some of their brewing before they were able to get into their own brick and mortar space. Um, but yeah, I read about the, the, the Bended Tree Chestnut brand and I, I thought that the shout out they got from the American Chestnut Foundation Alliance, um, I really only read about that today, but I, and I didn't know that chestnuts were really an important food way for the Cherokee Nation. And so it's really cool to um, see them use this raw material in such a way that it also tells the story of their culture. And I think it speaks to how incredible a beverage can be when you start bringing in folks from cultures. You, the beer industry is predominantly white, predominantly male. But um, when you get these different perspectives and different ideas and concepts from folks, I think it just, it elevates the game even more and presents these new ideas and opportunities. You mentioned a little bit about the impact of the, um, the coronavirus and pandemic on the beer industry in town, but I'd like to take a, an even kind of like a different turn on that too. And can you speak to a little bit to the economic impact of the brewing industry on our, our whole city, you know, because for, for good or for ill, you'll hear Hashvillians talk about, well, you know, now that tourists are just here and they're just here to drink beer and not support some of the other things that, you know, Asheville is, uh, has, has been uh, cultivating as well <laughs> over the years. So maybe you can just talk a little bit about, uh, but also just a tremendous impact also positive wise, because people love beer and they love the, and it definitely does bring, give you something to do when you bring in your parents from out of town or whatever, or your, or your friends and, 
show uh, and show them some of the high quality beers that we have. And it also means that there's always good beer to put in your fridge around by, around town. So, uh, so tell us a little bit about uh, about the economic impact of, of beer on our region. Yeah, absolutely. So the Asheville Area Chamber of Commerce actually just released an updated economic impact study. I believe the last one they conducted was through 2016, and this one's current through 2019. So okay. it's still a little bit dated, but much more current than it was in the past, and I think paints a really a much more accurate picture. Uh, it's the four-county Asheville metro area, which is Buncombe, Madison, Haywood, and Henderson counties. So I'd like to point that out because our footprint with Asheville Brewers Alliance is actually the 20 westernmost counties, and we did see a net gain in the number of breweries opening even though we lost two spaces during COVID, we did see a net gain of about half a dozen and there are roughly another half dozen in planning. So I'd like to preface wow. that, the, the contents of the study, just by saying, I think the number at this point is probably maybe not significantly larger, but definitely larger than what it was two years ago. Still growing, um, yeah. Yeah, and so we're a $1 billion industry or just shy of 1 billion. Yeah. Um, one of the most striking things of that study to me, and I think it speaks to a broader economic impact than just how much beer and, and brewery jobs were creating, because I think there was a 375% or 357% increase in the economic contributions or in the workforce. And, but what I found most striking is that for every one brewing job that's created in this local industry, a second, one additional indirect job is created. So that could be like the raw material suppliers I talked about. That could also be where the workforce goes and spends their money. So service industry jobs, dentists, real estate agents, that the workforce is so robust and vast that we're actually creating one new job for every direct job in the brewing industry, which I think is pretty remarkable. I, I, I'm not you know, I'm not an economic development person. I'm not a statistician. I'm not a data scientist, but I have to imagine that that's a pretty impressive number. Not to mention all the uh, Uber drivers and Lyft drivers. Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, 100%. I did that for about four days um, and it really involved picking up people from their hotel and bringing them to a brewery and then picking up people from a brewery and bringing them back to their hotel. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, to that point, there are also some really fantastic brewery tour companies in the yeah. area. Yeah. Um, Brewed is walking tours, which is incredible. And it's like equal parts history and brewery visits. And everyone who works for them is at least a certified Cicerone, if not further educated on you know the industry and the raw materials. So when you're out there, you're out there with an actual expert. Um, but I think also you know, mentioning, yes, breweries make great beer. They're a great place to bring visitors. But I think more important to that too is they're great community builders. I touched on Catawba's Pink Warrior Zombie. Uh, Hillman Beer does uh, power and pints once a month where all proceeds from sales of a certain beer or all proceeds from a certain day's sales go to different charities. Um, you know, touching on COVID, you know, Wicked Weed uh, providing food to folks and New Belgium creating the New Belgium Restaurant Relief Fund or Mm. restaurant worker fund I'm blanking on the name I did not look it up but um, where they were sent you know sending direct support to people in the, the the hospitality industry in Asheville and Fort Collins the communities in which they operate to help them cover bills that they weren't able to cover because they weren't getting enough in unemployment or they weren't able to work um, and so I think seeing these breweries, you know, also becoming voter registration sites, sure. uh, you know, Hillman beer, I keep bringing up, but they're doing it's breast cancer awareness month. They have a mobile mammography mobile coming 
later this month to provide mammograms for people who need them. Oh, wow. That's awesome. And, you know, voter registration sites, trivia locations, destinations, um, you know, they host pint nights for various charities. There are people who have, you know, the blood connection come out and they do mobile blood drives. And so I think you know, seeing these spaces as community centers as well in a lot of ways, I think it's important to acknowledge that. And, you know, you give people a place to go, not just to drink beer, but to be in community with each other. I think that's well, really special. Well, it certainly special. is, you know, historically, when we think about the, the place of beer in not just our country, but in many countries, you know, the, the beer hall in uh, halls in Germany are what, what fomented the, you know, the resistance to the Catholic church, <laughs> which then created the 30 years war, not trying to say like, that's where we're heading, but, but definitely uh, there's, a, there's a war coming. No, I'm just kidding. But, you know, but the, also the early, the early, the pubs in, in England were a place where ideas spread. Uh, the same thing can be said for the, you know, the founders and the, in the, the, the beer halls where they stayed in the, the public houses and the, the coffee houses as well. Uh, but all of those places also served beer. And it really historically is, has been a place where, you know, people do go and they meet up and they, they share ideas and they share fellowship and things like that. And, uh, and I know that that's a, that's certainly, <clears throat> certainly a part of the, the structure of things that we have going on in our, in a, and it's that you have a beer community that, that shares all of these things. So, it being October and October Fest lineups happening, I'm wondering what sort of events might be on your calendar uh, that are highlights um, that are coming up that maybe if someone were uh, hearing this and starting to get a little thirsty, they might say that needs to be on my calendar as well. Yeah, so <laughs> this is an event uh, this weekend was a very exciting and crazy weekend for me. I feel like I made up for 18 months of quarantine over this past weekend. Okay. Uh, it was Burn Pile Harvest Fest, as well as, which is a burial beer company. And they okay. invite, it's like 50 different breweries from all over the country. They invite to come in and they have live music and they have what they call off topic. It's a panel discussion and they talk about different aspects of the industry. Um, there was an amazing one with Jess Reeser, who's one of the owners of Burial and Amanda McLam, who's one of the owners of Resident Culture out of Charlotte, North Carolina, okay. where they talked about being mothers and women in the industry. And it was just an incredibly powerful panel to listen to um, hearing these women's experiences and, and how they navigate and all of that was really great. And the live music was incredible. Um, it was also Blue Ghost Brewing had their Oktoberfest this weekend. Uh, this coming weekend, Cellarist Beer Project, which is one of our newest breweries to open in Western North Carolina. They're up on Haywood Road in West Asheville. They're hosting Cellarfest. Um, and if you get a chance to try their Oktoberfest beer, oh my, it's called Xanadu and it is amazing. It's aged on wood or fermented on wood. It is to die for. That sounds awesome. I think, I think Tom, we know where it's where our next staff meeting is. For the, uh, we know. <laughs> All right, yeah, pick, pick it up on the idea of the history and you were talking about uh, a panel with uh, women navigating. So there was yeah, a video, obviously it being October, uh, which was talking about how the original brewers were most likely women and how witches may have actually been early beer sellers. Um, so the idea of why we have kind of, you know, ale or mead early on was actually much safer than water. So basically women are bringing this into the house because it, it's, it's more potable than the water at the time, but they would make a batch and sometimes you make more than you need. So you were like, well, you know, we don't have community boards back then. So you go and you bring them to the market. So again, I don't know how much you know about this. You're like, yes, people love this story. It's not yeah, true not at a all. Ton. 
Good for you. But anyways, just that, like, they would wear, like, the tall hats to sort of mm -hmm. let them know, beer over here, if you're looking for it. And, like, having cats around is because there was a lot of grain, so you want to chase the mice away. And cauldrons were really original kettles and all that kind of stuff. Um, so I thought it was uh, just really pretty interesting. And I, I always love when you sort of strip away some of the history, and it's often very practical. Yeah, and like one other piece of that to add. So I think it wasn't a, uh, the market piece. I think it was more that if somebody had extra beer, they would put a broom on their door to indicate yep. that they had beer for sale, which is where the lore around the witch having a broom comes from. Oh, wow, okay. But um, I think just yeah, like I, a lot of things, as soon as they become more industrialized and profitable, the the, the men come in and take it over and <laughs> we are where we are today. <laughs> Thank right. you, alewives. We'll take it from here. Well, um, also, that was very cool. And maybe just, yeah, just lead into then talk a little bit about uh, Pink Boots Society, which is, again, as an organization for, uh, you know, female, uh, you know, uh, brewers and, and um, people who, who play with such things. And again, just encouraging them and offering education and all that. So just tell me a little bit about your involvement with them. Yeah, absolutely. So Pink Boots Society is an international 501c3 uh, whose mission is to assist, inspire, and encourage women through education. So a lot of scholarship programming. Uh, the 2022 Biennial Conference is actually being hosted in Charlotte this year, and we're doing a field trip out to Asheville as part of that conference, which is super exciting to get to bring women from all over the country to our humble abode and have some tasty treats and show off what we do well. Um, nice. My role with Pink Boots, I've been involved for, I think, a little over five years now. When I came into Asheville, I was just volunteered for as much as I possibly could um, and started off volunteering at the Beer to Femme Festival, which um, is Pink Boots North Carolina puts on an annual festival. Uh, it travels to a different city in North Carolina each year. Unfortunately, 2020 and 2021 had to be canceled due to COVID, which was a bummer. So the last one we had was in 2019. It was actually in the event center at Highland Brewing. And it raises funds for Pink Boots North Carolina. So in addition to the scholarships that are offered at the national level, um, you have the ability to provide additional scholarships for existing programs or creating your own programs for women within the state. You're also able to do this at the local chapter level. Um, so in addition to being part of the Beard of Femme um, as a volunteer coordinator and as part of the planning committee, uh, I was a chapter leader for Asheville uh, Gosh, up until about a year ago, Katie Hoffman, who's at New Belgium doing QAQC work, who's amazing, yeah. uh, she took over as chapter leader and is really knocking out the programming out of the park. Um, and so Pink Boots is open to women, anyone who identifies as a woman in fermentation or fermented alcohol business. That was a, a new addition. It used to just be for women in brewing, um, but we've opened it up to all forms of fermentation. Just again, realizing there's so much overlap in the work that we do and so many ways to support each other um, beyond just the technical that just coming together in community and being able to bounce ideas off each other and get together is great. Um, I also am the volunteer coordinator for Pink Boots National, which is really cool. There are a number of committees and working groups that women can serve on to get more involved. Um, you know, a lot of places have just a state level chapter, but because North Carolina has so many cool beer cities, we have the luxury of having a dedicated chapter for our region that makes it a little more accessible. But for some women, um, you know, I was talking to somebody who's from upstate New York and the closest chapter to her is like three hours away. So she can't make it to member socials or the you know in-person events as readily as other folks can. And so volunteering with the national organization um, 
really provides an opportunity to meet other women in the industry and get more involved. And, and that's been a really rewarding experience. I get to talk to people on the phone who want to volunteer their time to an organization that I've benefited from so much. And so in, in a weird way, I feel like I'm getting to pay it forward by linking them with you know, the folks to get them yeah. elevated and more involved. That's so great. Uh, I can see Tom in the, while we don't do these as videos, I can see Tom is, is uh, starting to salivate a little bit over here uh, in the, his corner thing. And before he empties his beer that he was drinking uh, and gets too thirsty and angry at the same time, a thing we call thirst angry, I think. I don't know. Thangry? Thang I don't know. Uh, can we, can, Tom, can you tell us a little bit about what you've been devouring uh, of late? Because we, we do need to get back to our game. It is just, yeah. we do need to do that. Well, so yeah. It is uh, October, AKA Shocktober. So as soon as uh, it, the calendar turns to October 1st, it's a pretty steady diet of uh, scary movies in our house. Uh, my wife and I love watching scary movies all throughout the year, but particularly uh, October, we give ourselves over to that. Uh, so I do, I, I like watching them. I'll even rewatch movies I've watched many times before, uh, but kind of only in, in October. But it, uh, it brought me to something that's a little true about horror movies and also breweries, which is uh, I watched, again, uh, Children of the Corn, which I love the name. I love the graphic. I love the idea of it. But I really don't care for that movie because it's got two things working against it, which is terrible child actors. Um, really, <laughs> the, 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 the actor plays Malachi. Just like, I'm like, you're awful. Like, so, so I really have a thing against bad child actors. And also it's based on a, just a... Bad idea. Like, again, this couple's coming through and, you know, something bad happens, but they're like, and she's like, why don't we just go on to the next town? Honey, why don't we just go? And he's like, no, I have to, I have to go into this house and go up to like the back corner of the attic. And like, what are you doing? So just, I really don't like scary movies that are based on bad child acting and just like a bad idea. Like, that's a stupid thing. So again, when people are like, what's down here in this dark basement, I'll go by myself. I'm like, that's a dumb idea. Whereas I feel like the movie Halloween, those are all mostly good. I, you know, they're like, I don't feel like anyone is just making like the worst decision ever. So that's my thing with scary movies, which there's a lot of bad child acting and a lot of just a flawed central idea. And so is what, uh, is what you're, I was like, um, <laughs> how does bad child acting connect to brewing? Please tell well, me. I would say breweries, particularly in the Asheville area, you need to know what you want to do about kids. Um, and also don't be centered around a bad idea. Like there was a local brewery who decided to make about all about the sours. I was like, that's a bad idea. Like you, you can feature sours, but don't, don't have to be the only thing you do. Or like I always appreciated that Highland would sell Allagash White um, because they know that people be like, do you have anything lighter? Do you have anything like drinkable? They're like, well, we don't, but we find this is a nice beer. So like, you know, they just have, so don't offer just like the thickest, heaviest beers and then be sort of annoyed when people are like, I can't drink anything here. So I like breweries and there are a lot of them who are like, have made a choice. Like again, uh, the Highland Meadow is a great thing. Kids can run around, woo, yay. Good kids have a place, but parents can also sort of hang out and enjoy conversation in their beer. They've thought about both. And then um, there are some other places that do the same. So that's my thing. And uh, Leah, you were saying, I I'd like to comment. <laughs> well, I think you touched on a really interesting point that links back to something you said earlier about um, different beverage producers or different types of beverage working kind of in concert with one another. So yeah. that beer and wine aren't competitors or beer and cider aren't competitors. And I think it's really, you know, when you go into a space and 
especially if you're traveling with a group of friends, if you go in somewhere and somebody's not a beer drinker, for instance, right. To be able to offer something that's not just water out of a tap or something. And to be able to say, Oh, but we have this amazing local cider. And if you really enjoyed this, their tasting room is just down the street. Um, so I think well, it's also all about the rise like, of yeah. the seltzers, right? The, like, uh, mm-hmm. that's been a new big thing. And I always like, especially in the summertime, I do like a good, uh, hard seltzer. Sorry, I interrupted there. But it's all good. I love a good seltzer as well. They sneak up on you, man. Because you're like, oh, I'm feeling great. I'm hydrating. And then the next day, you're like, I was very much not hydrating. <laughs> <laughs> it was a very flawed logic and that I still have not quite learned. Uh, then Leo, with the idea of like, yeah, families at breweries, which some people would be like, is this the best idea? But I'll go. I appreciated that the bywater is no more. But I appreciated that like kids are welcomed up into a certain point. I think it was maybe eight o'clock was the cutoff, maybe sooner. And then all of a sudden, like kids under 12 are no longer welcome. You're like, what are you doing? Like, we don't want sort of extended drinking in kids kind of thing. So <laughs> do, do you have any thoughts about that in terms of breweries having cutoff times for the inclusion of children or otherwise? I mean, I think everyone has to feel it out and do what's right for them. I think there are spaces, you mentioned the Meadow Island, that really lends itself to being a more family-friendly space. Um, it can be tough because breweries, a lot of them are industrial and production environments. And you know, especially as the night goes on, and if you know, I think I think by and large, most people don't take issue with well-behaved children who are being supervised, yeah. being present at a brewery. I know uh, when we were under some stricter mandates due to COVID, um, a lot of people got upset because a number of places moved to 21 plus, mm-hmm. like only in their spaces. And I think what maybe people didn't realize is that when you have capacity or occupancy limits that are only 50% of your overall occupancy, anybody who isn't 21 in your space is somebody who is contributing to that number without contributing to your bottom line. Um, And I mean, that might sound icky the way I worded that. I don't know. But um, these people, again, are trying to just stay afloat and stay in business and well, they can want beer drinkers in there. <laughs> they might contribute even more to the local economy by uh, by maybe uh, hiring a, na- a nanny or a babysitter for that evening. <laughs> or that's yes. going yeah. and taking getting a beverage themselves and going away from that child because everyone needed space from their children during during COVID. I think it might have just been a, a surreptitious way of of encouraging. Hey, maybe a little space would be good for you now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I feel like as somebody who doesn't have children, like I can have opinions, but I think when I look at other people, I look at other folks who are parents of children, friends of mine or otherwise, who have very different feelings about children being present in sure. more adult spaces. And right. like the one side of that is like, well, I want to be able to enjoy a beer and I have children and I want to take them with me. And then people who are like, I hired a babysitter for the night and I don't want to be around your screen child. Um, (laughs) And I mean, I can see both sides of the coin. I think it's just, again, just be respectful, have some self-awareness. If, you know, maybe don't let your child run around and somehow get into the back of the production area. There are chemicals back there. There are pallets and forklifts and things that, you know, kids might not realize that they're not the safest places to be in without your proper supervision and they shouldn't be back there. Don't let um, your kid be a Malachi. 
No, no bad yes. child actors. Dude, yes. that movie scared the hell out of me. I, I'm the youngest <laughs> of three and I was, I, I'm considerably younger than my brother and sister, which means I got exposed to a lot of really scary movies, yes. probably at a really inappropriate age. And that's one of the ones that like, <laughs> I look at like a, a still from that or The Exorcist and I like, I'm triggered and have nightmares for- I like, saw, I, I saw you start to twitch a little bit there when, yeah. uh, when Tom Ford mentioned feels- it. I mean, it makes sense oh. that there's the corn maze. Cornfields are a great setting because they are immediately disorienting. As soon as you walk in, you're like three steps in. You're like, I have no idea where I am. Where, where, where do we go? Because oh. it just, it reaches high and sort of everything looks the same in every direction. So no, it's a great setting, which is why I'm more frustrated that some of the elements got in the way of a great setting. Um, well, hey, Leah, I know we just got a few more minutes, uh, but I know we've talked a lot about you devouring the, the Asheville beer culture, beer culture, but we also like to know what you do otherwise. So you can uh, tell us about things that you otherwise devour now, but also in your bio, you had a nice little detail between um, your time in Austin and here that you took a two-month road trip uh, eating and drinking your way across the U.S., um, so I don't know if you wanted to talk to us a little bit about that. And uh, if you were out on the road, what do you like to eat or drink? Oh man. So snacks is probably like almost my favorite thing. It's, it's between beer and snack activities. Um, you know, it's, those are probably my two favorite things in the world. And so if I travel, um, I definitely like to look up like what are the local delicacies and try to enjoy those things. So I think one of the most memorable snacks I had during that road trip was in New Mexico. I had my first hatch green chili burger. Oh, yes. It was awesome. And I think we stayed at a comfort in or comfort sweets in there. And their breakfast bar had a bowl of hatch green chilies that you could put on your eggs. This is the best thing ever. And so um, you know, luckily you can find those in the, the Latin American section at the grocery store. And I, yeah. and those now factor heavily into my, my day to day cooking. Are you, are you a hot green chili person or a mild green chili person? I like the spicy stuff, but I Me find too. as I'm getting older and needing to up my Tums quantities, <laughs> <laughs> I can't quite handle it. I mean, uh, you know, Tom, you mentioned sour beers, and I think I got a little bit of reflux just at the mention of it. I used to like drink so many sour mixed culture beers, but it's affecting my insides, and and so as much uh, I will still try to imbibe those, you know, but just on a much more scaled back basis. I think that's and my last good question for you: You are in Asheville, Beer Alliance. Beer is sort of kind of everywhere we go. Um, what do you do to try to step away from that? If you just need a little break from the Brewers Alliance, the beer culture, um, are there ways that you can uh, devour something else that gives you a little bit of break from that? I've been trying to be better about suggesting coffee meetings. Um, so I think what happens in this industry a lot is people will be like, yeah, let's grab a beer. And so then you have you know, a meeting at three, a meeting at four, and happy hour <laughs> with friends at five. And by seven o'clock, you're like, oh, like this is headed in a, a, a very strange direction. And so for me, it was, um, especially pre-pandemic, making sure that I lifted or Ubered to my destinations so that I can be responsible um, or you know have my husband ready to pick me up from wherever I needed to go. Because um, you definitely don't drink and drive. That's really dumb. Yeah. Don't drink and bike. That's also really dumb. Um, be safe, be responsible. Um, but yes, definitely like suggesting a lot of coffee meetings and we have some great spots to do that. I'm a huge fan of grind over on Depot street mm-hmm. in the river arts district. Um, if it's a nice enough day and I give myself enough time, I can walk there. 
nice. um, and get some exercise in. Um, yeah, I think just kind of, and I think a lot of folks are coming out of the pandemic, reevaluating their relationship with alcohol. Um, I have become a huge fan of non-alcoholic beer. Um, because it looks like regular beer when you're drinking it, especially if you get it in a glass. And so like the whale over in West Asheville has an incredible selection of non-alcoholic offerings. Um, athletic out of Connecticut is one of the biggest producers. I think yeah. they've got partake, but I think is out of Canada. And I just learned about a new brand. I think they're called well-being from Virginia beach, Virginia. Um, and it's a question I get asked frequently is whether anyone in Asheville is producing non-alcoholic beer, but the fact of the matter is it's very difficult yeah. to yeah. produce one that tastes good. Right. There are a lot of contributing factors to what make it difficult. I won't bore you with the nerdy details, right. but if people do have questions, feel free to reach out to me via the ABA's website or our social media pages. I'm happy to engage in that discussion with you. Well, I just read, I actually just read an article about non-alcoholic beer, not, uh, and, there, and while it is still a very small part of the industry, it's one of the fastest growing parts of the, of the beverage industry. And uh, we, Tom was at the show with me, we just recently had my kind of like first one, and it was it was one of the athletics that were serving it at Rabbit Rabbit. Uh, we've already mentioned Liz <laughs> in earlier, and, uh, and, uh, and it was just really, really tasty. And I thought, hey, this is, this is, this is a good, a good addition and good option for, because like that was one of the days, one of the things that'll happen in Asheville often, to, especially to people who are not from here, and who come is they don't realize how big our beers are. They're just, they've got a lot of alcohol in them and it doesn't take a whole lot of them to, to get you to where you might feel uh, pretty, you know, you might feel it pretty well. And so, um, so yeah, so uh, I, you know, I could feel that coming on and took, so I was like, wait, non-alcoholic beer, let's try that. And it it was very tasty. So, um, yeah. so yeah. And I think so, it, it gives folks an opportunity to participate in beer culture without necessarily sure. drinking alcohol. We do have some amazing local purveyors of non-alcoholic beverages. Um, I would love to shout out Devil's Foot Beverage Company. If you've never had their ginger beer, they've got oh, yeah. the spicy and the not so spicy version. They've got a lemonade and a limeade. Um, they just did a peach soda that's to die for. It tastes like summer in a can. So if you want something that's like not, you know, not diet Dr. Pepper or like tab or right. something, um, that's a great option to enjoy. Uh, we have another associate beverage producer called Saver Shrub Bitters. And so Kat, who's the owner of Saver Shrub Bitters, um, she sells, I believe on Etsy, um, but you can add that to a liquor drink or, you know, just plain straight up seltzer water. And it's just mm -hmm. a little hit of flavor. Um, Bucci kombucha out of, for sure. I just like Marshall, um, you know, so there are a lot of really great local craft beverages without alcohol in them. We just haven't gotten to the point where we're making non-alcoholic beer yet, but hopefully somebody jumps on that soon. Well, Leah, thank you for jumping on the podcast with yeah. us. It was really a pleasure. Uh, we, it's a, such a, it's a topic near and dear to both my and Tom's heart. And, uh, and thanks for being a great sport, playing our game with us and, and being on the show. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Leah. Cheers. Thanks. Right. That was Leah Reynas of the Asheville yeah. Brewers Alliance. He was awesome. And, uh, hooray. We love getting to talk to someone who just helps us remember that we live in an awesome area. For sure. And uh, so just a, it was really a lot of fun to talk to her and to hear about the amazing breweries. And also just that there's there's more to the craft beverage culture of our town than uh, than one might think. It's not just beer, is it? 
it's not just beer. And our show isn't <laughs> just an interview because in just a little bit, we will be treated to a song from you, Josh, as we always are at the end of the show. But before that, uh, Tom, I'd really like for you to uh, tell us your take on the world, which is the other thing that we do before we end the show. So Tom, can you take us away? I can. Tom's take. Uh, my take actually references an exchange I had with Leah when we were um, uh, reaching out to her about having a guest come on and thank you for doing that. And she had said, well, I'm, I'm happy to come on or maybe you'd like to talk uh, directly to one of the brewers um, and I can set that up. So I was trying to be helpful and it's like, okay, great. So I basically just hopped on a couple of the websites of some of the breweries I like, uh, you know, like, okay, uh, Highland, Bramari, blah, blah. And I sort of just copied down, you know, like who the brewer was. And I'm like, yeah, I'd be love to talk to, you know, uh, you know, Oscar at Highland or this, this, and, but, you know, great. So I sent her that list again, trying to be helpful. And uh, she got back, she's like, oh, those are all great. But just so you know, those are all men. Like, those are all dudes. You sent me an all dudes list. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and so maybe we could also focus on some more variety. And I just had a few seconds of defensive, you know. I mean, as the scar on Josh's cheek will tell you, I don't like to be corrected. Um, <laughs> so, again, I had to be like, well, uh, I didn't make that up. It's not, not like I skipped over any female brewers. I just went and that's exactly who's there. Why are you telling me something that's not my fault? And I just had that energy come up and I was like, why are you getting mad? All she said was like, yeah, wouldn't would it be cool if there were some, if you, you know, just took 30 more seconds to be like, oh, wouldn't it be cool to put a, uh, you know, a, a woman on this list? Um, so I just took the note and sort of circled back. And in a lot of cases, they're sort of, it's kind of semantics. They're sort of a split, like a, a Highland. Uh, it is, uh, you know, a father-daughter situation there. And so he's sort of head brewer. She's sort of president, but there's a lot of back and forth. So in some cases, it was just sort of semantics. There, there are definitely women involved in a lot of these places. Um, sure. And then I just sort of, you know, looked a little further and I found out about Pink Boot Society. And I was like, this is so cool. Look, oh my God, an organization that's all about this. So I sort of circled back to her and I was like, hey, that's why we want to have you on the show, because you're someone who's going to point out the like, uh, all dudes list kind of thing. And then <laughs> just did a little digging and found out about Pink Boot Society. Cool. Um, and she seemed to be like, hey, I really appreciate that this was your response to my email and not, I didn't, I didn't make it up. <laughs> so that's my take for today is just, just take the note. Yeah. yeah, just, you know, if you can work 30 seconds more, take five more minutes just to be like, yeah. You know, like when you're doing a presentation to, you know, I did corporate comedy, like they always want three ideas, you know, give them two of your good ones and throw in a third, you know, again, it's like just, just complete uh, a thing. So whether you're called out on, uh, you know, whether it's, you know, not thinking enough about uh, gender inclusion or otherwise, just, just take the note. Felt so much better to be like, thanks for pointing that out, rather than stomping around all day being like, I ain't even doing it the wrong. Lady yelled at me. She didn't. She just no. encouraged. And uh, I said, yes, good encouragement. And I went with it. Well, I, I think on the other side of that, the other side of playing that is to, you know, give the note too. Yeah. Uh, because a lot of times, you know, well, a lot of the things that, and a lot of the ways that patriarchy and uh, harmful masculinity continues to perpetuate itself is that a lot of the times it goes as un. It's just another form of unthoughtfulness, which we are all so good at, particularly mm -hmm. myself. <laughs> I'm talking about, but you, but you know, 
it that that's what you're describing is like you just didn't think about it but of course you didn't think about it because of the structure of the things you know so uh so encouraging folks to give the note as well but it does require some the macarthur grant for unthoughtfulness yes (laughs) right Um, Right. and again and i just want to say i I checked in with her at you when we got together and again she was like yay yay that that's how that exchange went so i say yay too yeah yeah well speaking of notes i've got a few notes to play tom then play him. I knew that we were going to have a, a beer person on, and so uh, a brewery, our brewery alliance specialist, Leah Arenas, and so I uh, decided to write a little song about beer, as it were. Well, I woke up this morning, and I looked in the mirror. up this morning, took a hard look in the mirror, didn't see no head, no legs, no tail, just a belly full of beer. Only two things make me sad in this old world. But they happen all the time. Only two things that make me sad. They happen all the time. First one is seeing the truth, and the other one's being blind. I paid the tab, I drank the booze, yes I paid the tab, and I drank the booze, don't tell me you ain't had them yourself, I got the beer belly blues. Well I've talked to my tailor. Talk to my friends, talk to my sponsor, but I can't make amends. I talked to the governor, but the world's still on fire. And I talked to the devil, but he was wearing a wire. I paid the tab, and I drank the booze. Tell me you ain't had them yourself. I got the beer belly blues. I woke up this morning with the beer belly blues. Yes, I woke up this morning with the beer belly blues. One day I won't wake up. No more beer, no more belly, no more blues. The beer belly blues, Tom. There it is. Beer belly blues. Uh, well done. <laughs> well, nice thanks. song. Good show. 
Hooray. Yes. yes. There we go. All right. And uh, so if you stuck around, thank you so much. We'll have another one for you next week. Uh, uh, we're enjoying getting back in the swing of things. It's our third show of season two in the can. In the can. Get it? Because mm-hmm. I'll, I'll have to put in the the, uh, the the open can effect right there. That's just going to happen. <laughs> All right. Bye-bye. Nom, nom, nom. <laughs>